Hello and welcome back to Coin Scrum Markets. I'm delighted to be joined again by Patrick Hoyser, Head of Trading at Crypto Finance AG. How are you doing, Patrick? All good. Thanks again for the invite. As always, pleasure to have you. Uh, nervous market this week, I guess, is the kindest way of uh, describing it. Uh, a little bit of maybe uh, um, panicking uh, traders out there, but uh, seems to have uh, kind of bottomed out now after a, a deep sell-off yesterday, um, recording this on Wednesday this week. Um, what's your thoughts on price action this week? Oh, well, for sure we had some traders with, uh, we call it wet hands uh, or wet shirts. <laughs> um, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a nice picture at the beginning to watch when we dipped again um, into the 30k area and then even below 30k yesterday. But um, as, you, as you mentioned, um, there were some counteractions uh, being seen and we saw it on the order books. There were um, massive bids coming in, um, in Ether and in, in Bitcoin. And yeah, let's see. I mean, if, uh, if, a, if a support gets um, touched a few times in a bearish trending market, then it's actually weakening the support and not strengthening it. But uh, we, we need to see, at the moment we're back to the, the 34K level, which was um, kind of um, a magnet or a liquidity uh, pool before. So let's see, we rest here now. And um, I think every other sort of headline might trigger a move of a few thousand dollars easily. Yeah, it's definitely bounced firmly. I mean, just on the technicals, I know it's something you write an excellent um, weekly technical letter that people should uh, go and look out for at the Crypto Finance website. Um, I think two dynamics that I've had my eye on, um, if we're looking at Bitcoin and ETH, um, the 200-day moving average has acted as key resistance for Bitcoin in recent weeks. Um, I think, uh, you know, perhaps unexpectedly last week from, uh, from the perspective of some technical analysts, Bitcoin bounced when it looked like it was already going to go through, maybe retest those lows, uh, but it got capped again at the 200-day moving average. Uh, conversely, ETH had been trading above it and um, it found support there yesterday. So we bounced off there. So I think these are two, two key levels to watch, I guess, going forward. And we're, we're in between on both. True. Even though I'm not the moving average guy, I, I don't watch that too closely. But the, a lot of equity guys um, have, have it always on the charts. Um, interesting, though, on the Ether BTC spreads, we still look very weak. So let's see if that Ether dollar, which trades above the 200 um, moving average is, is really be able to, to pump it. Then I should see a change in Ether BTC as well. Yeah, yeah definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, the other kind of marker that people have been looking at, or you know, it's got in the news a little bit this week, is around the open interest on Bitcoin futures. Uh, it's dropped significantly from the April highs. I think uh, it's down something like 59, 60%. Um, and, um, you know, there's different opinion. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously we saw quite a few liquidations going through on, on the way lower. But the, the majority of the open interest decline is rather coming from the unwind of carry trades. So people who were running long spot, short the future and nicely carrying um, a good interest rate down the curve, that's gone now. I mean, the curve is, is mostly flat. We're in the, the single digit percentage points for the December contract. So 
people are unwinding these trades and that is just um show it's showed in the open interest decline yeah yeah i guess until we get some more uh, directional trade especially to the upside uh, that's going to stay flat for a while and um, that's reflected in the open interest yeah you um, see the funding right uh, the perpetual yeah. funding is pretty flattish there's not much going on so there is no real interest right now which makes sense because people are unsure where we're going to go it's yeah. it's really it's really tough at the moment yeah yeah while we're staying in this consolidation phase i guess that will stay as it is for now um i guess the other key driver in recent times um a portion too especially around um the rally earlier in the year uh was around micro strategy um and their own strategy for financing their bitcoin purchases which has been heavily financed on debt uh we saw a strong rally last week in bitcoin uh, it coincided with the issuance of their most recent 500 million bond. Um, they announced that they've made purchases. So, you know, I guess uh, that could have been a, a significant factor before the sell-off. Um, that bond's dropped below par now, um, you know, just in recent days with that sell-off. What's, what's your overall thought on this strategy, for micro strategy, um, issuing all this debt? Is it creating any kind of hidden risks in the market? Well, um if we just focus on how MicroStrategy is doing it, um, I'm not a fan of it. I, I, I don't like that corporations put more debt on to buy Bitcoin, especially in, um, in an instrument like convertible where you have certain triggers that could, could come up where you lose control about what you do with the investment. Um, for example, you need to contact the board or the board has a resolution about um, if you run into negative equity on, on, on such an investment. Um, on the other hand, I'm, I'm a believer that corporations should think about having BTC on their balance sheet. Is it for easier wealth transfer if they're a global um, company between countries? Is it just to have a different cash reserve, store of value kind of um, reserve on their balance sheet. But financing in with, with debt, uh, I, I don't really like that. No, I mean, we've seen it in the retail markets and, you know, um, you'll have uh, people in one camp saying that, you know, you should just be long of spot hold and you're kind of uh, not immune to kind of, you know, volatility, but, you know, you, you're holding the instrument itself and or the asset itself and, uh, you know, um, your, your floor is zero, I guess, you know where the lower boundary is. Um, but then we've had retail markets offering, you know, 100 times leverage and we've seen, you know, when liquidations happen, they can cause quite a bit of follow through um, as, as, you know, you get a waterfall effect. Um, you know, what my, micro strategy is doing is a big leverage trade uh, here. And, you know, they've, 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 they've got 100,000 odd Bitcoins um, under their management now. Um, but, you know, we can't rule out that some unknown um, trigger would, you know, cause some liquidation on their side as well. Um, yeah. that could, I mean, that could have a huge impact on the market overall. Absolutely. For me, it's a bit of a systemic kind of risk. So if, if a lot of or if, if several corporations would start to do the same thing as MicroStrategy and uh, issue debt, especially convertible debt, to buy Bitcoins. And then we, know, all, we, we all know that the market is very volatile, so it can easily drop 30, 40 or 50 percent. And then they reach a certain trigger where they're going to go negative equity on it. Then they need to sell and then they 
I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't know how to sell 100,000 Bitcoins without moving the market. So the market will be under stress even more. And it's, it's, it's these things that people need to kind of understand that in the crypto market, there are not that many institutionals which would look at Bitcoin at a certain value investment and say, okay, now it's cheap, I buy. It just goes. If 100,000 Bitcoins hit the market, it just goes lower. Probably to zero, right? And well, I mean, especially if you know where those triggers are, then that also opens up some opportunities for some level of manipulation in the market as well, surely. Uh, could, could happen. I mean, people are already talking about um, to squeeze out uh, Sailor by hitting his floor on the, on the first convertible, but... <sighs> yeah. Uh, look, I think we're, gonna have, we're, we're definitely going to have to put this one in the, the known unknown bracket. Yep. I think maybe that's the best place for it, but I think it's something that does need to be considered and people should definitely be aware of out there. We'll come back to that in time, I'm sure. Um, okay, so we've had all this movement. Um, I guess around this, it's the continued sort of tightening, changing political and regulatory landscape, which is driving a lot of this. Um, I guess the big news, the biggest news has been around the, the Chinese clampdown on Bitcoin mining. It's a real thing. We've seen the hash rate drop. Um, if you're looking on the kind of the, the daily um, uh, measure of hash rate, which isn't really kind of uh, a safe measure to look at, um, that's down 50% from its highs or more. Even if you're looking at a seven day moving average, it's, uh, it's a good, uh, 40, 30 to 40% down. Um, and um, this is creating its own dynamics. It's good for miners, hash rate falling. The other miners that are, are, are still operating elsewhere across the globe uh, are benefiting from that lower hash rate. Um, but it seems that the Chinese miners are looking to get out of China, looking to ship their hardware out, and there's a shortage of capacity to host this. So uh, we could see that hash rate stay suppressed. Uh, maybe that's uh, filtering through on the price action. What do you, what's your take on this more from the political standpoint? Yeah, well, the, just looking at the political point of view, I, I sort of like it medium to long term that a country like China, which is not very accessible for the Western world, which is not very transparent in how they run the companies and how the, um, the capital then can flow around. So that they don't like or they don't want the miners in there, fine with me. They should move to a country which is more open, more, let's call it on a, on a regulatory level where we can transact with these guys and, and, and actually have some business with them. So for me, this is all more positive than negative. Where, where, I, where I can see psychologically from the, the retail guy, he just sees China is, is banning Bitcoin and Bitcoin trading and mining. This is all bad. Let's sell Bitcoin. And maybe even some miners had to sell some Bitcoins to finance the move or basically say, I'm not going to move. I'm, I'm just going to sell my stake now because I'm out, right? But if you, if you think in the medium term um, run, then exactly what you said is there is not enough capacity at, uh, at other locations. So that means the hash rate might stay low for quite some time, which makes all the other 
um, miners more profitable means they don't need to sell that many bitcoins. So the supply is getting more, um, is getting less. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, price should actually be positive affected in the medium term um, run of this, of this move. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, for the uh, cryptocurrency um, ecosystem, China was a big, big part of it. A, a lot of people were investing in different projects and were playing tokens and were engaging in it. Yeah, they, they sort of um, have to find another way to play in it. And it will, some guys in that industry will have a hard time now to make a living, obviously. But overall, medium term to long term, I see this as a very positive development. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's good to have that distribution. It does uh, draw attention to the fact that, you know, people say that you can't shut Bitcoin down, but with these very large mining farms now, it's not so hard to identify them and to do that. I don't imagine a situation where every country decides to, in a coordinated fashion, bang Bitcoin mining. So I think, you know, that arbitrage is always going to exist. So hopefully uh, many of the Western countries um, or jurisdictions are actually benefiting from this and actually seeing uh, a rise in uh, the kind of hash rate capacity will continue to support the industry and see it as an opportunity, uh, but remains to be seen. Um, I guess on that regulatory basis, if we look further west, a um, couple of things, I mean, probably don't need to dwell on it. The SEC have yet again <laughs> delayed the decision on another ETF. I think last week or the week before, we saw a, another kind of 45-day review period for the Vanek application. I think just today, we've seen um, the SEC um, uh, state the same um, for the Valkyrie um, ETF application. So we'll assume it's still to wait for another day whether we're going to get a US ETF. Um, but I think um, coming up next week, uh, one that you're keeping an eye on is the uh, FATF plenary. Um, they, earlier in the year, they put out the new... Um, uh, proposed guidance for how they look at uh, VASPs, uh, virtual asset service providers. Uh, they were looking to cover DeFi and NFTs under that as well. Um, there's, you know, there was already kind of a drive to uh, for VASP to have to start looking to comply with the travel rule. Um, what's, you know, do you think this is actually having an impact on the markets as well? Um, it, it depends how difficult they will make it for the VASPs in the end then. Um, maybe just do a little turn to the, to the BIS. Um, they came out as well with the, the RWA um, charges they, they uh, propose for cryptocurrencies. And I mean, they just used the highest possible um, level to, to put in. So it, it doesn't make it easier for me as a regulated broker to run the trading desk with such, with such charges, right? It just makes it expensive. I need a lot of capital to facilitate trades. And now I'm going to, the, on the company level, being a VASP, um, if they're going to make it difficult for us to transact with other regulated counterparties, with traditional finance counterparties, it will just make the mass adoption process being longer and more tiresome the hurdles are going to be higher. But in the end, if we find a way to comply or if they come um, a step towards us and make it a little bit easier, it's still on the way to mass adoption. It will come. And I'm, 
I'm, I'm a, a strong believer that the whole DeFi sector, which will challenge quite a few banks or quite a few uh, financial um, institutions, it will come. We just need to find the proper neutral grounds that regulators are fine with it, institutions who provide the service are fine with it, and the citizen can just use it and um, basically get a better service than what he gets right now. But yeah, we get, okay. yeah, I mean, for DeFi, you know, you, you might have the purest viewpoint that, you know, regulations aren't fit for purpose and they should kind of be reinvented from scratch. Um, you can have the mindset that you just ignore all regulations. And I think that's a much smaller philosophy now within the industry than it might have been a few years ago. Um, so my sense is that people working within DeFi know that they can't ignore regulations and there's certain you know, uh, uh, rules that they're going to need to follow, especially around identity and knowing customers, etc. Um, and I guess, you know, in many ways, the central banks or the regulators are like giving clear signals <laughs> on what they're their kind of position is going to be for their own use case. I saw again that the Bank of International Settlements published um, a paper this week um, extolling CBDCs where they've been previously quite negative on the idea. Now they were saying that they, they think their time has come. So they're going to be setting their own rules. Um, does the DeFi uh, people developing within the DeFi industry need to keep an eye on that and kind of take that as a signal what they should be doing? Um, because that's going to, you know, any, any regulations are going to follow uh, and be applied to DeFi? Or do they just, again, sort of need to kind of just ignore it a little bit and uh, work towards developing their own solutions? Yeah, true. I mean, the, the flip-flopping of the BIS is, is a bit like um, they, I think they needed to wait till the regulators um, in each country were a bit more aligned on how, especially the VASP side, how we're going to regulate the VASPs. And as, as soon as they saw that the VASPs are well regulated and even if you move around tokens, um, they, are, they are checked. So there is AML and KYC on, on the back of it. So I think they're now more relaxed on saying CBDCs is okay. We can, we can start to think about projects to implement it. Plus they they just, I mean, there are lots of studies out there showing the, um, the advantages of having a CBDC. And it's, it's now a bit of, if you don't have a proper project and if you're not getting on board with it, you're going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch next week. Uh, we are uh, hosting a panel discussion with some guys within the industry taking a close look at the results of that FATF plenary next week. So be sure to tune in um, and hopefully uh, we'll have some more insights and information for our viewers. Patrick, our time is up. Thank you as always. We could carry on, uh, but we better save some for next time. Um, thanks for joining us and uh, good luck trading. Thanks a lot. Bye, Paul. Cheers.